Welcome to day 135 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are 2 Chronicles chapters 28 through 30 and Psalm 37. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. In chapter 28, the good mood and hopeful impression created by the piety of King Jotham falls apart quickly with the reign of his son Ahaz. Unlike David, his ancestor, Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The core of the chapter is the recounting of the sinfulness of Ahaz. Among the abominable things he is said to have done is that he made images of the Baals and he burned incense and made sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and even sacrificed some of his children in the fire. The valley of Ben-Hinnom will later be the place known in English as Gehenna. Gehenna is the word used later in apocalyptic and intertestamental literature moving into the New Testament to describe the place for eternal punishment for the wicked, or what we now think of as hell. The punishment against Ahaz comes quickly in the form of two military defeats, the first to the king of Aram and the other to the king of Israel. It's important to note that this is close to the time when Assyria will conquer the northern tribes and take many of the people away into exile around the year 721 BC. Ephraim and Aram are nervous about the threat Assyria is posing to their existence. The Assyrians were interested in Ephraim and Aram or Syria because their land lay on trade routes from Mesopotamia to the Mediterranean and to Egypt, while Judah to the south was a bit more isolated and did not hinder trade. But unfortunately for Ahaz, Ephraim and Aram needed Judah to join a coalition to try to resist the Assyrians, and they were willing to use violence, if necessary, to force Ahaz and Judah to join with them. So first, Aram attacks Judah and takes away many prisoners, and then Ephraim does the same thing, taking prisoners and loot from the temple back to Samaria. The Arameans had no historical attachment to Judah or to Yahweh, but the Ephraimites or Israelites obviously did. So God raises up an obscure prophet named Oded to speak against what the Ephraimites have done. Taking some of their own ancestors captive is a move too far for God. So in response and out of fear of the Lord, the northern tribes let the captives return home. In the meantime, Ahaz acts foolishly and wickedly by trying to make an alliance with Assyria. This turns out to be kind of like making a deal with the mob. The deal with Tiglath-Pileser didn't bring help, but ended up bringing more trouble. Trouble that will not only bother Ahaz, but trouble that later his son Hezekiah will end up paying for deeply. To be charitable to Ahaz, he came to power in a time of incredible political turmoil and military threat. Nevertheless, he handled that pressure poorly, and in the last episodes of his life, he comes off as incredibly desperate. He offered sacrifices even to the gods of Damascus, just trying to gain some of their power for help. But everything he tried only seemed to make matters worse, until eventually he died, and like some of his other failed ancestors, his body is not buried in the royal cemetery. The next four chapters turn to one of Judah's best kings, Ahaz's son Hezekiah. The chronicler highlights four kings after David for special treatment because they are viewed by the narrator as Judah's most significant reformers. Hezekiah is the third in that list after Asa and Jehoshaphat. However, Asa and Jehoshaphat are narrated as having some negative aspects to their leadership. Only the last two, Hezekiah and Josiah, 
will be the reformers narrated by the chronicler only in positive terms. Chapter 29 begins with a now familiar refrain. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. It's clear in this language that the chronicler is drawing a sharp contrast between Hezekiah and his father Ahaz. The first action of Hezekiah is to reverse the action of his father by reopening the doors of the temple and initiating both repairs and reforms. Note that this one is done in the first month of the first year of his reign. Hezekiah is not messing around. Hezekiah both entrusts and empowers the Levites to reform the temple and its practices. They do the work quickly, and by verse 20, the temple and the people are ready to be rededicated to the Lord. Chapter 30 describes not only that celebration of rededication, but also the first celebration of the Passover in probably two and a half centuries. In the first half of the chapter, Hezekiah sent an invitation throughout Ephraim and Judah to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. This invitation raises some historical questions. If we take the timing of the chronicler seriously here, this invitation happened after the destruction of the northern tribes by Assyria. So some scholars argue that when Assyria conquered Ephraim or Israel and Samaria, that they didn't kill or take captive all the people, but let a significant remnant stay in the land. And they either stayed in that territory or they moved south into Judah. Thus, it's likely important to see this chapter and this invitation from Hezekiah as an amazing moment of reunification between Judah and the remnant of people left in Ephraim or Israel. In uniting the nation, reforming the temple, and then reinstating the Passover, Hezekiah is becoming the new Solomon. The chapter closes with a bold comment about prayer. The Levites bless the people, which is their job, but blessing really means praying for God to bless the people. And the bold comment is the description that their prayer reaches right into Yahweh's holy abode. There's much more yet to be said about Hezekiah, but in the text for today, the chronicler celebrates his leadership as not only a reformer, but a unifier and a healer for those who've been hurt. When I think about the many divisions in the Christian world, I'm aware that they have often come with great hurt and resentment built in. These texts help me to imagine what a unifying leader might look like, but also to anticipate the joy that might come when all those dividing walls are taken down and all of those hurt souls are healed. I imagine that in the great unifying Passover celebration led by Hezekiah, the people might have sung words similar to the closing lines of our psalm for today, Psalm 57. They read, I will give thanks to you, my Lord, among all the peoples. I will make music to you among the nations because your faithful love is as high as heaven. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. So exalt yourself, God, higher than the heaven, and let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. Our reading for tomorrow is 2 Chronicles chapters 31 through 33. I'll talk to you tomorrow.